Hello and welcome to Move Live, presented by FanDuel. Promo code 444. New users can take advantage of FanDuel's risk-free first bet. Get up to $8,000 back if you don't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today and a promo code 444 to take advantage. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here as always by my friends. We have Connor Allen and John Daigle. How are we doing, gentlemen? Great. Good. Absolutely, I like the yeah. energy. Absolutely great. <laughs> I, well, I started to get into some some MLB player props. Uh, been uh, grinding those lately, and it's been an absolute blast. I, I've never, I really don't like baseball at all outside of going to games. But uh, I mean, this market is soft, just crushing it so far. I'm like six and two in like three days. How we do today? We we tailed one today, didn't we? Do we have? Yeah, Carrasco. We already won that, and then we, the other Detmers got rained out, and then there's one more we got in a little bit. So. We're also at the time of the year where all of our ideas, we're just throwing them against the wall, hoping they stick until we get to our team preview. So another episode where we just get to lightly talk about football. Yeah. You know, I think that initial reaction at the top is a June 1st football show reaction. <laughs> I'm like, how are you doing today? Yeah. You know, everyone's all right. Like there's a big golf tournament tomorrow. There's a golf, there's football players playing golf on TV as we talk. We have, you know, uh, playoff hockey tonight. We have the NBA finals tomorrow. We're in other spots mentally, but um, we never take our finger off the pulse of the NFL and all the things that go along with that. So we want to uh, continue to stay in your mind and, and find reasons why we can find little edges in this game that we love that we can possibly bet on. So today we're going to look at some of the coaching changes that have happened over the past few months, uh, head coaching changes, offensive coordinator changes. How can that impact Offensive play calling, maybe that is something that can play itself out in the prop market. Um, defensive side of the football, whether it's going to impact teams from a win total standpoint. We just want to talk ball with you today. Um, so I'm going to do it with my friends, two favorite people to do it with. So uh, let's get started. We'll start. Uh, no frills here at the top. We'll jump right into it. Uh, Connor railed on about the Bears last week. And uh, I think that that's a good place to start here. We have the Bears with obviously a new head coach, Matt Aberflus, coming over. From Indy, he's the defensive coordinator there for a number of years. Um, Bill Lazor out, obviously, as offensive coordinator. Luke Getze comes in from the Green Bay uh, quarterback coach for a number of years. And we often see this. I do think it's interesting here with the Bears where we have this zigzag where it's like, all right, we kind of didn't have success with the offensive guy, so we bring in a defensive guy. And that's an interesting thing here in particular, Connor, because we were talking about the development in – possible growth of the bears hinging on Justin Fields development. And that feels like it's going to fall a lot on Luke Getze, who's going to be calling plays for the first time. Um, I know we're down on the bears overall, but talk to me about what you think here about the uh, coaching change. Yeah. I mean, Getze is tough to project. I think it's in some aspects, it's good that they took a chance on someone new, but in other aspects, he's just, I mean, he is brand new in terms of he's never called plays and he's dealing with the bottom three old line group, bottom three wide receiver group. But the biggest thing for me, it's something that I dug into for this episode in specific, Matt Eberflus, right? So, you know, I think everyone's been like, oh, he's a good defensive mind. But then I kind of looked at the stats behind it. So he was a defensive coordinator in Indy for four years. They didn't finish inside the top 15 in net yards per attempt allowed or yards per allowed once in four years and not finish in the top half of the league. Uh, I mean, they were always fringe top 10 in like points allowed and most of their success actually came from takeaways. So they were like fifth and second the past two years in takeaways, which I think we've talked about before is not super sticky for most, for the most part. So I don't know. I mean, I, this actually makes me even more concerned given like the lack of talent there. Like, I don't know how much more down I can get on the bears, but like, I, I wanted to be like, okay, maybe Everflues can inject some, you know, strength in their defense, make the most out of the talent. But man, it is, it is really, really tough for me to have much confidence. Ferrar of Sports Illustrated, I believe he's still with. Uh, the great Doug Ferrar actually noted on Twitter a few days ago that Justin Fields had the highest passer rating on rollouts last season, but Matt Nagy, of course, only called 19 of them <laughs> all year when Fields is under center. And so you would have to think we have a little more faith in their offense, but even then, I was diving into my best ball quarterback tiers, now the site, running back tiers going up the moment this show ends and they'll roll out for the rest of the week. But even then, for fantasy at least, you think about how poor that Bears offense was last year. And even then, in four of Fields' last five starts, he finished as a top 12 quarterback, a QB1, because he averaged 7.7 carries per game. And a lot of those weren't design runs. That was just him scrambling for his life. So we still have that in arguably a worse situation. But think about the transition. Like, is it that much worse since it was already pretty poor last year? And so 
I have, after doing a little more research, gotten a little more faith in Fields individually and in particular Darnell Mooney. But overall, the organization, still the jury's out and I don't have faith in their overall personnel. Yeah, no, I think that that's actually really fair. And I think that from a fantasy perspective is way different. I like, I kind of like fields. I think he's kind of like dicey, like the upside is there to some extent, but also one last note here on the defense, uh, Alan Williams, is their defensive coordinator, former Indy DB coach, but also has two years of defensive coordinator experience with the Vikings in 2012 and 2013. They finished bottom 10 in past events in both years. And he allowed the most points in the league in 2013 as his final year as defensive coordinator. It's almost like players matter too. So, um, for sure. You know, Indy didn't have a great secondary per se, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. It doesn't help, I guess, to your point, Connor, off the top is it's like it doesn't add this layer of all of a sudden optimism on top of where you were already concerned about. So I'm kind of with you, too. I like the Dagos a little bit optimistic on the upside, especially in fantasy. And maybe that plays itself out in the prop market on Justin Fields, who is probably going to be playing from behind a lot. We kind of like those quarterbacks, especially in the fantasy game or in the prop market of like whether it's quarterback rushing yards or him having to really create. And I think of that run against San Francisco where it was like to Dago's point, that's not a design run, but that was a, it kept them in the game where that like play broke down, scrambled. He scrambled out to his right, had to kind of go back to almost Steve young ish back to his left and found himself in the end zone, maybe like a 40 yard touchdown run. And that was kind of the glimpse of what we think his upside can be. It's going to have to be a lot of that because there's not a lot of talent around him to kind of, buoy the rest of the the uh talent deficiency there especially up front so just gonna have to be athletic. just like in college miserable under pressure great downfield passer you have to keep them open you have to keep them upright the offensive line will have a lot to say about that last point but if he stays upright then yes he can still throw it deep with the best of them as he proved last year uh denver we are optimistic about and uh, nathaniel hackett coming in uh, we thought maybe there were some rumors of, you know, the Aaron Rodgers drama that might land him here. And they thought that the ties there, obviously him coming over as the Green Bay offensive coordinator. He was in Jacksonville as the OC there prior to that. So we thought that, that would make a lot of sense. But again, same thing where we have a, a defensive mind in Vic Fangio going out, offensive minds in Hackett coming in. Um, we have a, um, you know, Justin Norton as well coming in from Green Bay to be the offensive coordinator, though Hackett's going to be the play caller here. I talked last week about how I think, kind of the meshing of a new quarterback coming to this team with Russell Wilson with Hackett at the same time helps them kind of develop things together versus one coming in prior and then trying to retrofit to make things work. I think they can kind of do things together. It's going to be interesting what we see with this offense because I think that we've always wanted to see Russ cook. Uh, we've seen different iterations of that over time. We've obviously been clamoring that for a reason, J.D., uh, give me your thoughts here on the Broncos coaching staff and how it's going to impact this team. I've honestly already said in multiple shows what I think about Russell Wilson and the Broncos offense. I practically throw everything else under Vic Fangio out the window, knowing that Russell Wilson was trapped under Pete Carroll and a number of different OCs for many years running a slow-paced, run-heavy offense. And now... With Hackett, I generally don't even think Hackett's going to have a say. I think we're going to run pretty much a Russell Wilson offense finally for the first time ever, and it can only be successful. So, I mean, I think it's very clearly you don't overthink the situation. And the Broncos, like if they were in any other division, they'd be the favorites. But we at least know they will compete, even though they are in the best division in football. And the Hackett thing... Connor, I think is interesting too, because like the Green Bay thing is great theoretically, but we know that that like JD's talking about that was LaFleur and Rogers. So like Hackett's not even necessarily like a mastermind of that right. offense, but like it might not matter because Wilson is kind of that guy that can kind of rise above that. What are your thoughts here? I know you're bullish and rightfully so on the Broncos. Yeah, I'm just banking on it not mattering, to be honest. I think, as Daigle said, it's probably just going to be Russell Wilson's offense. I think Hackett has enough experience working with Rodgers, working with LaFleur, to probably inject some of that in there as well and kind of work together and build a successful offense. The biggest leap for me here is, uh, I'm trying to pronounce this right, Ejiro Averro, uh, the, the new defensive coordinator, former Los Angeles Rams defensive backs coach, I mean, he's been a positions coach with the Rams and 49ers for the past decade. No play calling experience. And while he has some talent, I mean, the Broncos have some holes on their their defense. Don't get me wrong. And so they have obviously added some talent up front with Randy Gregory. But at the same time, there is a little bit of holes. So I'm a little bit worried about the defense, honestly, uh, if they're not able to kind of like leverage some of their experience. But I think it'll be all right. But I guess that's something to look for kind of early on in the season if they're not able to get their bearings. I said it last week, but I'll say it once more that 
through 2020, Russell Wilson was the only quarterback in all of football that threw for at least 30 touchdowns and four consecutive seasons. No one else did it. And he would have done it last year for a fifth consecutive season if he didn't play through with that smashed finger from week 10 on. And he did that again in one of the worst offenses in the entire league because that's how great he is. So I think it's just wheels up from here. Makes sense. They're going to be fun to watch. Uh, that division is going to be awesome. I cannot wait. Uh, Jacksonville, new coach, Doug Peterson. Shout out to Dougie P. Jr. Um, obviously, Peterson, we've had some times where we, you know, we thought that he was a football mastermind. Obviously, that Super Bowl and being able to, you know, install Nick Foles as the quarterback and have them go to the next level. I thought everyone was uh, very excited about him. And he seemed like a guy that was going to be around for a while. Um, again, got left behind and again process of elimination here with urban meyer and all that was going on there him out the door uh just addition by subtraction here makes a ton of sense i think you're still going to see doug peterson call plays even though we have press taylor former colts assistant uh labeled as the offensive coordinator he's going to be still calling the plays there for dougie p obviously similar to justin fields this matters it's all about Trevor Lawrence's gains. Can he continue to evolve and develop? Um, we saw flashes at times. Otherwise, it was just kind of like a meh season. But again, all the things going on there, Daigle, it was going to be a tough season for anyone as a rookie quarterback in that building. And more encouraging is that the offense and OTAs is becoming clear. There are a couple tea leaves we should be following right now. Not a lot of important things, but whenever we are getting who is starting – and 11 personnel in particular, so we know three wide sets and OTAs, that does matter, especially when everyone is in attendance. And right now for the Jaguars, they're pretty much using, for better or worse, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, and Zay Jones as their three wide sets, with Travis Etienne basically handing every single touch since James Robinson is currently out at OTAs and still uh, pending for week one. I've seen a lot of chatter about Evan Ingram as a strong late round app option. And that's fine. There, we do this every year. There are a lot of strong late round options. The only thing I would be careful of for fantasy purposes is that there's a reason why you don't see many pieces on coaching and like that type of scoring and the exact like weird players targeted who carry over anymore. And it's because we be, we debunked it all. Like it proved year after year that like, Doug Peterson did not target tight ends in his offense because that's what he loves to do. He did it because he had prime freaking Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Of course he targeted them because they were his best players. And so like, just be very wary when you're siding like Doug Peterson loves tight ends. Um, again, I do think Evan Ingram is a pretty awesome buy low option, but let's be wary and just not pretend like it was because uh, Doug Peterson loves to throw the ball to tight ends. That's not the case. No, that's a good call out for sure. Uh, Connor, I think the ceiling here is maybe second place in this division because I do think maybe that's up for grabs. Uh, we do kind of, I think we all agree that this is a one playoff team division. It gets very dangerous to say that on June 1st, but I think we all feel fairly confident that the Titans should be taking a step back. We don't feel very strongly about the Texans who we'll get to momentarily. Um Again, Jacksonville probably is a stretch to get to the two, the number two spot in this division. But again, like, do they even want that? They probably should be looking to gain as much leverage to get an early pick again next year. But again, I feel like that's the ceiling for them. But what does that get you other than like six and 11? Yeah, I, I think to Diggle's point too here with uh, Doug Peterson coming in, calling plays, he's actually finished no worse than 13th in pass attempts uh, in his five years as a head coach. Also has uh, two top 10 finishes in rushing attempts. So, I mean, their play volume is going to be up. Their efficiency is going to be up. He has more talent around him. I think that there's a lot of reasons to be bullish on this Jacksonville offense. And I guess from the defense perspective, there's obviously a lot of holes. Um, but at the same time, they hired Mike Caldwell, Tampa Bay linebacker coach. He's been in the league since 2008 uh, as a, mostly a positional coach. This is his first crack as a coordinator uh, and will likely be his first time calling plays. So again, that's something else to watch for as well. Because if, he's not, if, if they're not cutting it right now, I mean, the unit definitely doesn't have talent to overcome a coach that doesn't have a ton of experience. So at the same time comes from Tampa Bay. So at this, I think that there's, there's plenty of potential there as well. Trevor Lawrence also wasn't elite during any stretch in his rookie year. He had developed in year one under urban Meyer. So who would be, but 
6.7 yards per attempt in those first six starts, and then they returned from bye, he literally forgot how to play football. And everything was downhill from that point forward. I imagine it's because they were dealing with so many injuries. Only 5.6 yards per attempt, 10 fantasy points per game um, across his last starts from week eight on. So I would imagine we at least get to see a new Trevor Lawrence, one that's more similar to the one we saw in the first month of the year, as opposed to whatever the hell happened over the last stretch. He was also a legitimately awesome prospect. So we don't really need, you know, oh, yeah. like I think that there's something to rely on there, whether like compared to other guys, you know, like Zach Wilson or, you know, even in the past, like Sam Donald, where we had a lot of like major question marks in terms of them as prospects. Now I think we can kind of lean on him being fantastic for a couple of seasons at Clemson as well uh, to be bullish on him. The Raiders uh, finally were the team that were, was able to convince Josh McDaniels to stop flirting every year and to commit uh, to take a head coaching job. It's been 13 years, which is shocking because McDaniel still looks like a young pup um, since he last was a head coach with the Broncos, you know, toiled around a little bit with the Rams and obviously back in New England for a very long time. And um, I think it's interesting. And we're going to see that play out with New England. I think just how good Josh McDaniels is as a coach, because really how he was able to, to just kind of change and develop based off of the personnel that the Patriots had. It's really hard to say this is the McDaniel system that he is taking to the Raiders. They were really able to just go, okay, here's what we have this year. And we're going to be able to just kind of manifest an offense around what we have. So I think that that speaks to McDaniels being able to be pliable. And I think that's going to work. This team has some talent. They're probably going to be in some shootouts because there are a lot of electric offenses in this division that probably works out well from a fantasy point, J.D., for the Raiders. Mick Lombardi, offensive coordinator by name. Again, another New England coach who came over with uh, Josh McDaniels. But what do you think about the Raiders? And in the first two months, it happens every year, but the Raiders were encouraging, in particular, Derek Carr, because for the first time ever, like, remember, he's always been a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't take sacks. That only gets you so far. That's why he's always been overrated when everyone says like, oh, like they can win with Derek Carr. No, you can't because he doesn't take chances at all. But last year he did take chances. Until their bye in week seven, Derek Carr threw 20 plus yards downfield at the league's fourth highest rate. He was giving his players more opportunity and man coverage on coin toss throws. And those players were Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. He had no reason to believe in those guys. And yet he did. And then when they lost Henry Ruggs and basically – any player on the team that could separate, that's when Zay Jones got thrown in, and then Derek Carr's downfield rate dipped all the way to single digits. He just didn't take those chances anymore and instead depended on on shallow crossers with Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. And so we have seen last year that he is a different quarterback, and that's the quarterback they need him to be, again, in the best division of football because it really comes down to how good can he be under pressure. And so, yeah, there there is a lot of hope to have here. And then other than that, the backfield is just – especially after they declined Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. Uh, very clearly, this is just going to be Josh McDaniels' bunch of friends between Brandon Bolden getting involved, Kenyon Drake as a pass-down specialist, and then Zamir White, wherever he fits in, even though I do have questions about his role in the NFL. Yeah, that's always going to be a mess. Uh, I feel like you're going to have that still. That's going to be New England West as far as uh, running back backfields go. Um, also, Connor, the Raiders were able to kind of finagle Patrick Graham out from the Giants to take over the defense there. They were pretty excited about that. What are your thoughts here on the Raiders? Yeah, that was pretty good. I, he finished, I mean, with, with a league bottom Dolphins team as their defensive coordinator, but then went to New York and now top like top 10 back-to-back in points, yards allowed, and net yards allowed. So, I mean, he's, he did really well with the Giants. And he wasn't working with a ton of talent either. I know we were both down on the Giants uh, at least last year. And or I was specifically, and and they they finished. Well, I cashed under, the under, and then, yeah, I cashed the win. Yeah, under. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was and it was good, but a lot of that hinged on the fact that I thought Patrick Graham was kind of a, a dud at least two years ago, and he's turned out to be really well and work work out with uh, very little talent. But McDaniel's here. I mean, we saw them with the Patriots, as you mentioned, like oscillating between a run first to a pass first offense on a week to week basis, even mid game basis with Tom Brady, and then what went to you know with Cam Newton, obviously like a power run, like weird like, you know, read zone thing that didn't really work, but kind of did for a couple of games before he got COVID. And then, you know, they had Mac Jones and were able to somehow work something out with basically no receiving options. So I think that we'd have no idea what we're going to see from them. I think that we probably should see a reasonable amount of passing attempts here, probably skew pass heavy considering the weapons that they have. But at the same time, I think that if McDaniels and Carr are able to click and kind of figure out a rhythm like they had in New England in terms of like figuring out game plans on a week to week basis, 
Uh, I'm a little bit intrigued, honestly. I, I'm, I'm just excited to see that. I'm not sure they're going to be good, but I'm excited to see what the offense looks like on a week-to-week basis. Defensive-wise, we don't know. You're right, but... I do respect the hell out of Patrick Graham, who still did a tremendous job around a crumbling franchise with Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman. And then also just to add in Chandler Jones, who who was overshadowed because uh, Yannick Ngakwe signed basically a few days after him. Um, and then also to add Trayvon Mullen, who has at least shown promise whenever he's been healthy. He hasn't been often. Also Rocky Sin from the Colts. And so they did rejigger their entire secondary and defense. So there is some promise there that they can at least get by as a league average defense if it's possible. Man, that division is going to be is going to be fun. If the if Carr is somewhat like you said, JD, what we saw early in the season and takes advantage and being aggressive, and again, I do b- agree with you that he was kind of forced into the dink and nut stuff with with Hunter Renfro. But um, yeah, could be a could be a fun one. Literally, never put the NFC on primetime. They will, but NFC deserves zero games in primetime this year. They just kind of sat back and said, uh, if Brady comes back, they're going to win the they're going to win the conference. That's it. Uh, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, this one's going to be interesting. Mike McDaniel coming over from San Francisco. Uh, Frank Smith, the OC by name, but McDaniel is uh, looking like the play caller. And McDaniel wasn't in that role even in San Francisco. We all attribute this, the Niners' success to Kyle Shanahan and uh, the genius of Kyle Shanahan. And I think that that's um, there's something to that. It hasn't necessarily played itself out uh, in big games at times. But um, McDaniel has come over. He's going to be in charge of this offense. Uh, he was, I think, given a lot of credit for some of the success that that run game has had over the years. That's another team that is comfortable using a ton of bodies. And they've added a ton of speed to this offense. Jalen Waddle, obviously, last year. And then everything that they've added from the two running backs uh, to, obviously, Tyreek Hill. This is going to be a very interesting team, especially early in the season, to see how they find their footing. But, uh, Connor, get me started here with your Dolphins. What do you think about McDaniel? Yeah, so I had a slight uh, epiphany while kind of writing this, researching it. So prior to him becoming the 49ers offensive coordinator, he was their run game coordinator. Frank Smith was the Los Angeles uh, Chargers run game coordinator. And the Char- or the 49ers last year went at, ran at the second highest rate of Shanahan's five-year tenure as head coach. Um, I mean, I know everyone is, is expecting kind of like a bombs away passing attack, them to go pass heavy. But they signed Raheem Mostert. They have Chase Edmonds. They signed him. They bolstered their offensive line. Like what's stopping them from running like exactly what the 49ers ran, running a lot of kind of like, you know, zone runs, running a ton, and then doing a lot of play action in a crossers for Waddle and Tyree to get open. I mean, I would not be surprised at all if they kind of go like a little bit more run heavy than people are expecting. And then just like leveraging uh, Waddle and Tyreek in those like situations, the, the yak situations, and then finally getting them open over the top. I mean, I think that that is actually probably a perfect use of what they're going to do rather than just, you know, trying to gun it and like hope for the best. So I don't know. I kind of thought that that's like, it kind of opened my eyes. Like maybe they don't really like kind of do what everyone's expecting. And so that that's kind of where I'm at with them. I think that it's going to be a very interesting how they mesh, but I kind of like, like the Dolphins even more now. So I might be willing to start putting some coin on them. I just got to find the right way to leverage it. I'm just not sure how to do it yet. Maybe I was in the wrong. Were we expecting them to come out and chuck it all over the place? I mean, you you pay you you uh, have Waddle. I mean, you you trade for Tyreek. I don't know. I think that that's like yeah. You bolster the offensive line. You have a quarterback coming to his you know whatever third year, I guess at this point. Like I think that you know that kind of should be the expectation, at least should have been. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I was. Maybe I'm off there in terms of public sentiment. Yeah, I expected them to be a shallow crossing team. That's that's all I think they're going to do. Uh, just like the 49ers, like Garoppolo, we know how much. How, how much he lacks mobility and even then finished second in yards per attempt last season with 8.2 because all they do is try to get yak. And now they have, between Waddle, Hill, and Mostert, three guys who have all recorded a play over 20 miles per hour in the last two seasons. Like, they added all the speed they possibly could and run a wide zone offense just like the 49ers, presumably. So, yeah, I think they're going to be fun. I don't know if that translates to being good, but I think they're going to be fun for sure. Yeah, you look at what they've done at the offensive line, especially that helps. But over the last handful of years, regardless of what we think of Jimmy G, I always talk about expected completion percentage. That's a coaching stat. And Jimmy G, regardless of what you think of him, always is in like the top three in the league the last few years in expected completion percentage because they just scheme these short crossers. And I think they're going to set two up for success where he's going to be able to, to take advantage of that yak and those speed guys with those crossers. So yeah, I guess it was kind of what I was expecting them to do too. And and again, we've seen the deep ball stuff. Um, I think that that's a little overblown. I mean, I think that Tua can hang with that. Um, I'm definitely not anti-Tua. Last year, my anti-Dolphin stuff was more on the defensive side because I thought the previous year they were just – it was unsustainably uh, 
just noisy with all of the turnover stuff that they had the previous season. And they had like a ton of pick sixes and all that stuff. Um, the defense is still, I think has some questions, but I think the offense will be fun. And, and um, again, this division is not so much up for grabs, but again, like maybe there's a chance that there's a two playoff team here. Um, and maybe it's the dolphins. I just, I don't see it, but again, I think they might be fun for fantasy. I mean, he, he didn't go deep often. He only threw downfield 29 times all year, but he did actually finish with a third highest completion rate on throws 20 plus yards downfield. And you think about why he didn't go deep and it could have been the offense, but it also could have been because he looked up and saw Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, Preston Williams, and Mike Jasicki. It's just like, yeah, these guys don't matter. So, of course, he didn't throw deep. So, yeah, I, I think speed and shallow crosses is the way to go here. Do you guys see the uh, the Dolphin social media accounts after that have posted like a deep ball, like a perfect thrown deep ball, like every day, like at least like one, like one to two a week, like after that, just to try and get like the buzz back is, I mean, man, they got blasted rightfully. So, I mean, what a terrible highlight to throw. He like underthrew him by like good five, 10 yards. Yeah, it was uh, awful. It's bad. Uh, Minnesota, they kind of another yin and yang in that uh, NFC North where we talked about earlier. You get rid of the defensive-minded coach with Mike Zimmer. You bring in a Sean McVay guy and Kevin O'Connell, who was a, the Rams OC last year. Um, offensive coordinator by name will be Wes Phillips, who is also part of that Rams passing game um, and tight ends coach. I mean, obviously some, you know, fantasy assets that we're pretty excited about as always with Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. See if we can get a little bit more from Adam Thielen this year, if he could stay healthy. But uh, what are our thoughts here, JD, on Cousins, the Vikings, and Kevin O'Connell? Well, we know what the Vikings have been under Zimmer. They finished in back-to-back -back seasons fourth in total runs from neutral game script. Any uptick is, would certainly help out Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, uh, and we'll see which direction they go with their third wide receiver, probably still KG Osborne, um, and a large helping of Irv Smith, assuming he's back to full health. But Kirk Cousins is not the issue. It's just that he's been poor under pressure. But if we can get any kind of progressive, intuitive offense, like that is a massive plus for this passing game, even though they've already been pretty good the past two years anyhow. Like the number of times I reluctantly used Kirk Cousins double stacks in DFS because it was such a good option is atrocious. Like it's egregious how, mu how many times as a non-rushing quarterback, I knew he was the best play of the week. And so, yeah, I, I actually have a lot of faith in this passing game because I think it's going to be different altogether. I do too. I think the important thing here to note is that um, a couple of things. We saw a lot of really good usage of Jefferson in the slot in college, and we barely see that at all for him in Minnesota. There's a big discrepancy in 11 personnel usage from what we saw from the Vikings since Jefferson's been there versus what we've seen for the Rams and really what they were able to do with Cooper Cup out of the slot last year. So I think there is going to be more 11, uh, basically one running back, one tight end that we see this year from the Vikings. And then, you know, being more creative with Jefferson – uh, to find him, you know, mismatches in the slot. I think that's going to be an interesting way to kind of take the cap off of, of his ceiling, like we saw with Cooper Cup this year. So continuing to be super bullish on that kid and that talent. Uh, how about the Vikings for you, Connor? Yeah, to put a number to what you guys are saying in terms of like the pass rate, especially. So last year, the Rams under Kevin O'Connell passed 4% more than expected. Uh, so if you kind of look at their expected pass rate and they passed 4% more than that, the Vikings passed 3% less than their expected pass rate. So you're looking at a pretty big gap here in terms of how progressive a team is, how a team is going to you know approach the season. So I think that the Vikings are going to be passing a good amount here. And I think it means good things for Jefferson, Good means good things for Thielen and Irv Smith, as you mentioned. I'm interested to see what it does to Dalvin Cook. I don't know, his, his ADP and fantasy has gotten suppressed a little bit after last year. But I don't know, I think it could be an interesting buy-low opportunity on this offense as a whole. I keep clicking on him, Daigle. Should I be like yeah, same. Dalvin at the end of the first, like mid the late first, like eight, nine-ish? Like uh well, and you know, I, I follow a couple of Twitter individuals for these things because it's wide open right now, but it doesn't sound like it sounds like his court dates are getting all the way pushed back to August. And if that's the case, uh it could just go all the way into 2023 as opposed to 2022. So I'm in the same boat as you where I keep going back and forth on it. Right now, we genuinely don't have a clear answer. But if you told me to lean one direction, I think it is more likely that he takes a 2023 suspension as opposed to 2022. Interesting. Yeah, I'll continue to try to do that because it seems to make sense for me. Uh, the Saints, Dennis Allen staying. Uh, they are trying to keep as much cohesion there as possible. He'll move over from the defensive coordinator position to the head coaching position. And I think we'll see real quick how good 
and how underrated uh, Sean Payton is at his job too, because I think that that's going to be a big, big change for this team. Dago, what are your thoughts here on the Saints? Paulson and I on the Most Accurate Podcast have been harping on Jameis Winston, and we are above industry consensus on him as well in our projections. And that's because last year, if you look, in the first month of the season, they literally just didn't allow him to be Jameis Winston. They said, whatever we can do to make sure you don't turn the ball over, that's what we're going to do. And that's why he only averaged 21 and a half pass attempts per game. It was basically bottom of the league and throws 20-plus yard downfield. But then his last two starts, when they had no choice but the up the ante and put points on the board because they knew that offense couldn't sustain 32 and a half pass attempts and 14 total carries. That's the Jameis Winston we want for fantasy and the one that would unlock this offense with Michael Thomas finally get a ru- getting a running mate in Chris Olave. And so overall, now that it is Dennis Allen, no longer Sean Payton, as well as Taysom Hill permanently playing tie in. That's where he's also practicing during OTAs and they sign Andy Dalton so that Taysom Hill is not even the backup quarterback. Like there is no concern for Jameis Winston, assuming he's back to full health. And he is limping around OTAs currently, but we're still a couple months removed from training camp. So I still have full faith in him. And I think this offense could be more fun than people expect. Yeah. Connor Pete Carmichael uh, staying on in, in the you know, offensive coordinator by name. It's just going to be interesting to see how much of that offense carries over. How much is this going to be Sean Payton's playbook and do they unleash Jameis uh, like Daigle's talking about? What are your thoughts here on the saints? Yeah, I don't think it impacts the offense at all, but looking back at Dennis Allen's history, I mean, his previous head coaching stint with the Raiders was an absolute disaster. And I don't really think it matters too much, but I think it is worth noting. He went eight and 28 uh, during three seasons, uh, like two and a half seasons. He won four games each of his first two seasons and went 0 and 4 and was fired. And obviously the talent differential is massive between what he has now, but uh, I mean, that is like abhorrently bad like that is just incredible uh and so well, don't, I don't look know. at belichick's browns record because you're yeah, about, you again know. you know and i mean hey if you want to take that that dennis allen to bell belichick leap uh <laughs> you you can be my guest but i think it is worth noting that his previous sin was not great but i think like you said most of the things are still in place here p carmel offensive coordinator uh the positional coaches chris richard and ryan nielsen from the db and the defensive line coaches are going to step in as like co-defensive coordinators but i anticipate dennis allen's basically just going to be the defensive coordinator there as well. And you talk about smashing picks in the last round, Noonan, like if Kamara's out, because now it looks likely actually, especially because there is rumors of a video circulating. And as we know, the NFL, for whatever reason, needs video for proof. Otherwise, they don't care. They throw your allegations out the window. But there is a video reportedly circulating. If that's the case, you remember Mark Ingram averaged 15 carries and seven and a half targets and his only two starts for Kamara last year. Maybe they add someone, but I still doubt it's going to make an impact where – they do not use Mark Ingram as an every bound down back as they showed last year. So that's a guy I've been scooping a lot of. Yeah. I'm sure they add someone, but the, like to your point, like, I don't know that it makes enough of a difference to not make him a great pick at his current ADP. If you're in those best ball streets. So recommend that one quite a bit. Uh, Giants kind of landed one of the bigger fish uh, as far as the, you know, guys expected to get a coaching job here with Brian Dayball, who has been the OC in Buffalo, obviously has been, you know, kind of dubbed the guy who's, turn Josh Allen into what we see today. Obviously spent a lot of time both with the Patriots and with Alabama and Nick Saban over the last decade or so. Um, Mike Kafka, former Northwestern superstar quarterback, uh, had been with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs the last couple of years as the QB coach there. Uh, again, not a bad QB room to be in, obviously. So uh, be interesting to see what we see here for Daniel Jones and the Giants. So, da- you know, the Giants have added some more depth to the wide receiver position. Hopefully they can keep Saquon healthy. We know the offensive line additions have been pretty nice. Is this a year? And they have to make a decision because it looks like they're not moving forward with the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. Do they let him run a little bit? Do we start to see a little bit more of that upside that we see for Daniel Jones? Uh, What does that look like for the Giants, Daniel? And that's what I'm hoping for. That's why I have faith in Daniel Jones, given that they immensely proved the offensive line this offseason. Not to mention, they scored a league low 23 touchdowns last year because Joe Judge, the Patriots OC now, by the way, Noonan, um, <laughs> was, running the, was running the show. And so, like, of course we have more faith that with that kind of talent, hopefully healthy, Barkley included, and Galladay, that they can be at least league average. And Dable is no fool. Like, this is the same team, remember, that went out and traded for Stephon Diggs because Josh Allen was one of the league's worst thrower downfield. Um, His accuracy downfield was poor as hell until they got Diggs, who, as Matt Harmon showed us, was one of the best receivers and catch rate downfield. And so 
I think that's the same thing's going to happen. Dable's going to ask, what does Daniel Jones do best? And that's going to be roll out and use his legs more. And as we know, last year in their last six games, whenever Buffalo was leaning on Devin Singletary for six for 17 carries and Josh Allen for seven carries per game, it wasn't because like that's what they suddenly started doing. It's because Dable said, we are now facing two high safeties like the Chiefs do. How do we beat this? And Devin Singletary was just an analogy for we need a better running back here, but this is the best we got. So we just have to make them respect our running game at best. And that's what the Giants are going to do. That's why last year in that six-game stretch, uh, 68% of Josh Allen's runs in that time were actually coordinated. They were actually schemed by Dable. They weren't just Josh Allen running all over the place, using his legs on his own. And again, with Tyra Taylor only having a one-year contract, not a threat at all, especially because he's been very bad the last few times he's been asked to start as well, whether it was with the one game with the Chargers against the Bengals two years ago or last year with the Texans when he returned from injury. Yeah, I, I am very high on Daniel Jones and his rushing floor. Yeah, it's been a, uh, a very popular QB2 pick for me because uh, I think that there's some upside. And if they can get some health at the wide receiver position, I think the offensive line improvements are key. We talked about some questions in the division. Uh, Connor, what are your thoughts here on uh, the Kafka Dayball team here in the Giants? Uh, Dayball is one of the only coaches, at least one of the only coaches that I really respect enough that like they – He's undergone like a massive transformation throughout his coaching career. So he started like for the first five to six years when he was with Cleveland, Miami, Kansas City, even Buffalo, when he was an offensive coordinator, he ranked top six in rushing attempts in five of six years. Uh, and then we look at the last two seasons in Buffalo, he ranked 11th and 15th in passing attempts and passed 7% more than expected last year. And then we get Mike Kaff, who comes from Kansas City, they passed 11% more than expected. I think that that kind of blend just speaks to what we're going to see. And you guys mentioned here a lot. I think Daniel Jones is going to run a ton. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They have absolutely no reason to protect him. They know that they're not going to win. They're going to let him loose, run as much as possible, and try and be frisky. I mean, if he proves that he's something good, they're in a good situation where they can, you know, maybe keep him along. I don't know, figure something out. But now it's I just think that they're going to let him loose, see what they have, and, and basically everyone, and it'll be like a trial for one year. And then with uh, the defense here, Don Martindale, uh, Baltimore defense coordinator, had three years from 2018 to 2020 where he was, I mean, led like a, a truly elite Ravens defense, you know, pretty much top five in most categories for three straight seasons. Uh, last year, there were a ton of injuries. So I'm not sold that he's some like defensive guru, but I think that he, at, at the very least, elevates the talent that he has. Be interesting team to watch for sure. Again, I think having, you know, that much experience, even the Kafka thing, I mean, he's not been around for a very long time, but being with, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, that offense. I think the blending of that relationship and seeing what they can do to, you said, make a, a frisky Daniel Jones. And if nothing else, that could be fun for fantasy. That could be fun from a prop standpoint. We can point back Daniel Jones rushing yards early in the season, hopefully, uh, until they stop posting it because they're cowards. And then we, you know, are good to go when we get even on Daniel Jones for the season. Tampa Bay Bucks have moved on, obviously, through retirement with Todd Bowles taking over, staying on, obviously, defensive coordinator moving into the Head coaching position, another guy that has had a questionable uh, early stint as a head coach with the Jets. Obviously, continuity there with uh, Byron Leftwich staying on. Obviously, Tom Brady coming back makes things pretty easy. You know, upgrading some of the uh, you know defensive staff to take over his role from the defensive side. Obviously, he'll still be calling plays and in charge of that defense. Dale, what are your thoughts on Bowles and the Bucks? Do you think anything changes? I don't. Yeah, I, I think it's Brady's offense through and through. And we've talked about it before. Brady, through week 15, I believe it was, 310 yards, three touchdowns per game. That's what he freaking averaged. And then he lost Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, and averaged six and a half yards per attempt, unsurprisingly, in the postseason. Also fresh off a career-high 42 tap pass attempts per game last year. And so, no, I, I think the MVP run, at least, is imminent. And whether it's his last year or not, like the offense doesn't miss a beat. It's just going to be the same thing with Russell Gage playing the Chris Godwin role instead in week one. Connor, same thing? Yeah, I think it's almost like we, we're going to find out how much Bruce Arians matters. And I would say that his opinion over the offense was actually probably a negative towards the end of their tenure. And that was one of the reasons that Brady, like one of the stipulations, wasn't it? That, you know, he would come back if basically Arians was gone, essentially. And so with that stipulation, I mean, that kind of speaks to their relationship in terms of Bruce Arians, an offensive minded guy who, you know, had plenty of experience trying to force the ball downfield uh, versus, you know, a guy like. Tom Brady, who likes kind of attack underneath, dissect the defense. And that's something that we talked about prior to him coming to the Bucs is maybe a weird fit. And obviously Brady won over towards the end of 
the career and he, he started playing better. So I think that this is actually an upgrade. Uh, Byron Leftwich, uh, still the OC. And I just, I don't think anything matters. It's Brady's offense. You know, Brady's going to do whatever he wants. Much like how, if we ever had the opportunity to sit down for a few drinks with Kyle Shanahan, and I think he would eventually tell us that he was going to draft Mac Jones until public pressure caught up to him. I also think if we sat down with Brady and he was being very honest, something happened to the Bucks last year, which is why all of them have spoken quietly about turmoil towards the end of the season. And then when Bruce Arians, when he decidedly was going to step down, that's when Brady decided he was going to return. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, but we'll never know. Yeah, I think that there's something there for sure because it didn't seem like uh, a guy that they would that he would want to retire at that point. So, and I think that was part of what Brady at the end too in New England was he just at a certain point was kind of tired of even though it worked, he kind of was a little tired of being on one of 52, and he at a certain point was like I'm fucking Tom Brady, and I want a little bit of that, and I think he was feeling that a little bit in Tampa again where he's like. No, starting, we're starting to do the same stuff again. Like, I, you know, I, it should be a little bit different. Um, don't talk to me that way. And, you know, maybe you could say that that's weak. You could say that maybe you've earned that over time. But I think that there's probably something there that we will definitely um, – we've had Tom vs. Time. We've had, uh, you know, all these different documentaries. I don't think we're going to get another documentary, uh, Man in the Arena, Man Outside of the Arena, where we find out what happened in Tampa Bay in that, that uh, 2021 uh, season. Hilarious isn't the right word for it, but I still think it's – I, I don't know. It's something that Greg Olson is going to put his heart and soul into a job he wants and is, and is, you know, he's okay at whatever. Um, but then like Brady's going to show up and he could suck at it. It doesn't even matter. Greg Olson gets demoted literally immediately. The moment Brady retires, it's pretty ridiculous. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Houston, lovey Smith. Uh, I don't know what David Colley could, could have done last year. Seemed to be a uh, exceeding expectations that we had for that team and that talent. But he is one and done, and even worse, they just promote Lovey, who uh, has not done much of anything since kind of leading a, I guess, uh, a Rex Grossman-led Bears team to the Super Bowl back in 05. Uh, bad stints in college, not great stints as a uh, as a pretty straightforward cover two guy uh, with that Tony, Jun- Tony Dungy cover two defense. He's now promoted to be the head coach there. Pep Hamilton, though, does get another chance. Uh, as an offensive coordinator, has had some success at times in Indy with Andrew Luck. Uh, was there for that first year with uh, with Justin Herbert out in uh, in LA. So that'll be interesting to see. He you know maybe can unpack a little bit more that we saw from Davis Mills, who again another guy I think exceeded our expectations. He kind of gets a one year prove it deal because we don't expect the Texans to be very good. We expect there to be numerous first round draft picks at the quarterback position next year's draft but we'll see what happens here with lovey and pep hamilton defensive coordinator uh dc will be you know lovey is still going to be taking on that role so connor thoughts on lovey and the texans i mean i think i think lovey's a bum i think he's a fine defensive coordinator but as a head coach he's an absolute dolt uh, i mean 17 and 39 at, at illinois like i mean he couldn't turn around even the slightest a program that was already just dead to begin with like he couldn't even show some signs of life uh, and then, you know, I mean, the last time we saw him coach Tampa Bay, you know, he was not great there either. I think that, you know, obviously he gets a lot of notoriety for his seasons with the Bears where, you know, he obviously like, you know, helped a great defense that had, you know, ton of talent play even better. But I think that's just what he is. He's a fine defensive coordinator, but as a head coach, he's, uh, I don't know, not a leader of men. I don't really know what it is, but, you know, I'm not behind the scenes, but there's obviously something behind being a terrible head coach for multiple stints. So I don't know. I think that the offense though is interesting. I think that there's Brandon Cooks has upside. I think Davis Mills played better than uh, we expected, especially once he started facing secondaries that were not like top five in every metric. So yeah, I think that the Texans are fine. They just, as we mentioned on our scheduling pod, have some really tough scheduling quirks and they have very little rest. Like their net rest is negative and they play like a top five, top six schedule in terms of what Vegas win totals. So it's a tough, uh, tough team to back here. Like, Coley, I imagine Lovey's there only to be the scapegoat. And he also loses his job the moment they turn things around. Um, I don't think he's meant to be the actual successor. I, I think he's just a bridge until they get the guy they want, whoever that may be, because that's how this organiz- organization does things for better or worse. And yeah, Mills Mills is good. Uh, 68% completion rate, 7.3 yards per attempt across his last five starts. Good enough to earn another nod at it, especially since they are rebuilding and don't have a better option. But overall, yeah, I, I just think they're still the Texans because they don't know how to identify talent, really. They still just continue to 
build based on what they believe and we know what they believe is wrong. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. That organization and from the top down, that's a, it's a mess uh, as far as like ownership and uh, be interesting to see who wants to take that on in, in a full-time role. Cause I kind of agree with you. I don't really know what to make of the lovey thing as far as like him being able to earn himself into a, an extended full-time role here, which obviously he is right now, but I, I just can't see him being part of uh developments of a new quarterback pepe hamilton maybe but i mean uh, we'll see what happens there but the not high expectations again for the texans we'll bust through these you guys can um you know let me know as far as those are the head coaches we can touch on some of the other coordinators let me know if you think that there is anything that's worthwhile sharing here we have ben mcadoo moving into the oc position for the carolina panthers um you know additions on the offensive line hopefully christian mccaffrey back questions at quarterback um again we had an offensive coordinator who Joe Brady, who we all thought was kind of like a shoe-in to be a head coaching candidate in the offseason, gets canned midseason, uh, was picked up to be a quarterback coach for the Bills. Now we bring in Bob McAdoo, who was pretty pass-heavy with the Giants, and the you know Joe Brady got fired because they weren't running enough. So what's going to happen here, Connor? Yeah, that's exactly my notes. I mean, he finished ninth, eighth, and sixth, and first in pass attempts in his four seasons with the Giants. Ran a ton of eleven personnel. I mean, that's what he was known for coming into the Giants uh, head coach from the Packers. And I mean, now the all the whole reason that Joe Brady was fired was because Matt Rule said that he wanted to run the ball more, and that you know he didn't like how Joe Brady was doing passing the ball. So if he seems like a terrible fit, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't understand it at all. But I also have like very little faith in the Panthers, to be honest, at this point. So, it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm not interested. It's a double-edged sword because it is Sam Darnold at the end of the day and Matt Corral, who we have many questions since he didn't even run NFL offense under Lane Kiffin. But uh, remember, Sam Darnold against that easiest, if it's an easy schedule to open the month, the first four games for Carolina last year, three 300-yard games, average 297 yards and eight yards per attempt. And then, of course, over his last seven against a tougher schedule, 167 yards and a meaningless 5.1 yards per attempt. Just proved he's still Sam Darnold, and it was only the schedule that benefited him. At the same time, though, it's a double-edged sword because I, I, I love Ben the visionary McAdoo. I think he's a genius. I really do. The fact that before Sean McVay was even a thing, Ben McAdoo was top two in 11 personnel in the entire league. He literally only ran 11 personnel. The offense was so bad with Eli Smith. He looked at everyone in the crowd. He looked at John Mara, even in attending dinners, dinners with Manning and his family and the Giants owners. He still benched Eli Manning for Geno Smith because that was the next best option. He didn't care. Geno Smith's analogy for anyone is better than what I'm seeing on the field. And I don't care what the owners want. I have to make this decision for myself. So like, also, remember, he also wanted to draft Mahomes. They said no. He wanted to drop, draft Josh Allen. The Giants said no. Like, Ben McAdoo is actually very good at what he does, but this is not the situation to be very good at. And so, again, with Sam Darnold and Matt Corral, that's where I lose faith, but I do think McAdoo deserves to be in the league. I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a war. Like, it sounds like Ben McAdoo is going to be like, we're doing this or we're benching this guy. And Matt Rule is going to be like, no, we're not. Like, there's, there's going to be some serious. We, I don't know why the hard knocks is not on them because this is going to be, it has to be an incredible That'd be room fun. Uh, just to, to witness because I, I highly doubt that both of them make it through the season or end up like in an amiable relationship. This is not, they're not quite there. I think they're probably a tier below it, but this is becoming one of those like Denver teams to me where like the last past couple of years where they're like a quarterback away. Now I think that the Panthers are probably a little bit below that, but like, again, there's a lot of young up and coming, encouraging talent on the defensive side of the ball. They improve the offensive line a little bit. We obviously like some of the pass catchers. There's a lot of things to like here. If they can get some, at least even league average, quarterback play in a pretty wide open division, right? We have questions about the saints. We know the Falcons are still a problem and you know, the, the bucks are, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. So, you know, there are some wins to be had in that division. If they can get anything out of the quarterback position, it was so. the biggest failure by any team. This off season was yet again, whipping on quarterback for the Panthers. No team made a larger mistake than that one. And they had two years to get it right. And they absolutely did nothing. They did get crowd value. I will say that, but again, and even though, NFL evaluators do think Corral has the traits. You know, he has the, he has this arm strength. He has mobility. He flicks his wrist really quick. Uh, at the same time, again, like just the fact he ran so many screen passes and was basically an RPO only guy under Lane Kiffin. Like we don't we don't know if he knows NFL defenses. So just lots of question marks. No, it's true. I agree. You know, I've been kind of. Uh, um, I think that there's some upside there. He's small. He's mobile. 
um, which you don't love the small part when you're mobile. But again, there's some downfield accuracy that was actually pretty encouraging. But again, like you said, that is very different than him being able to read defensive defenses pre-snap or even post-snap. So and I believe he, I believe he had multiple ankle injuries the past two years because he's mobile but too small to handle the load. Yeah. Like everyone just always compares everyone to Cam Newton, but you forget Cam Newton is like seven five, three hundred pounds at quarterback. Like it's yeah. just a, it's a different monster. Not everyone is meant to be mobile like Josh Allen too. So. Yeah, it's just lots to worry about. Just small RG3, and that didn't pan out very well for a, a sustained career. Uh, but that one year was fun. That one it year was. was it was a lot of fun. Uh, Gus Bradley is now coaching the defense for the Colts. Gus Bradley, probably a decent defensive mind. I think he's still cashing checks on the back of a Legion of Boom defense uh, a handful of years ago and uh, just continues to get kicked around. But John- we, think, we think the Colts are going to be good, though, Daigle. We do. We I love the Colts personnel. Uh, quick note on Gus Bradley, though, is that – Oh, one of the best stats is that last year, you know, Patrick Mahomes, that Chiefs offense changed identities over the second half of the season. We've talked about this where they only dumped down the ball practically. And Mahomes led the league from week eight on, I believe it was, and yards after the catch production. And if you look, like Mahomes had three top 12 games and two of them came against Gus Bradley because he refused to alter the Raiders defense. When Mahomes was struggling against two high safety, Gus Bradley still played cover three on 90% of snaps <laughs> and Mahomes smoked them on both games down the stretch. So uh, I, I think Gus Bradley is a stubborn, non-progressive play caller, but at the same time, I do think there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. It seems like Matt Ryan is starting his own breakfast club as well with basically every single player on that offense. So lots of hope in the Colts. I agree. Uh, Connor, any Gus Bradley takes? No Gus Bradley takes, but I think that we need to make a play official on our move the line tracker. Colts to win the division is like pretty close to even. I think we're all pretty bullish on them. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think we – I was thinking about this mid-episode. You know, I think we need to make that official after. Uh, to, as I wrote in my best ball tier, because I was, I was diving into, like, the splits, and, again, the splits would make these things so hard because um, so many things happen throughout the season that we just forget about. But, yeah, Tannehill averaged five and a half yards per attempt without Julio Jones and A.J. Brown last year on the field. And I understand we replaced those two, and they may not seem like a big sample, but that actually happened on 31% of Daniel's dropbacks. Like, he was just piss poor without those players on the field. And now we have Traylon Burks trying to get up to speed. Also, his conditioning's lacking lacking right now for whatever it's worth. And OTAs, plus Robert Woods trying to come back from November's injury. So lots to, like, just be worried about with the Titans. Yeah, we can still get what well, basically minus 105, it looks like on FanDuel and MGM using our four for four futures bets table here on the site, which is free. Check it out. Um, yeah, 105 on FanDuel and MGM. The the Falcons were dead last in pressure rate allowed and ESPN's pass win block rate metric. Like, and now Ryan gets to go from that to literally what is the best offensive line he's ever played with his entire career. Like it's just two totally different offenses via one position change. It's it's probably going to take him like a game or two where he's just yep. throwing the ball away and he doesn't need to, uh, you know, and like he's, but, he's not going to realize how much time he has. Oh yeah, for sure. Like remember like how many games Wentz lost for them last year, including week one against the Jaguars with that pick six at the end. And even then they came one game with him making the playoffs. It's just Wentz crater down the stretch. I mean, this is a very uh, Michael Pittman friendly show and he continues to ascend to be an alpha. Uh, Liam Cohen coming over from Kentucky, uh, which had an interesting offense. Uh, but again, he is going to be the offensive coordinator for Sean McVay, which we know this is a Sean McVay offense. Uh, Daigle, any impact here at all? He and Sean McVay's sideline handler are going to be the next head coaches in the league. <laughs> we know what happens here is that like, I don't even know if they matter. Like, I don't think they do anything on the Rams like Kevin O'Connell and everyone else, but they do learn under Sean McVay. Yeah, and, I agree. And it's like, cause like these guys don't go everywhere, then like screw it up like Belichick disciples. Like they are very clearly all young guys trying to soak up all the knowledge they see around them in the Rams front office and under McVay in particular. So yeah, uh, I don't think he's going to do anything, but will he be the next head coach in like five years? Probably. Yeah, I mean, he since he's a college offensive coordinator from the college game, I think he probably lasts like maybe two years, three years. But whenever the time is ready, you know, McVay will send him on to his next, uh, you know, <laughs> next also, stint as an offensive coordinator. And an how many more one. years does McVay even have? Like, what, two? Like, he's getting out as quickly as Aaron Donald is. Like, he knows he can't do this forever. So, like, he it actually just may be McVay walks away and allows him to take over. That's the Daigle mindset. <laughs> you want to be you, you you envy that like the like he's like 36 and he's like 
has plans to just step I, away from what he. I just does appreciate best. it. I appreciate it so much. I you see Aaron, you see Aaron it. Donald going on like McAfee and these other shows and just like no sweat in his brow whatsoever. He's like, no, nah, they don't meet my demands. I'm at peace. Like I'm pretty happy right now with everything I've accomplished. At what is he? Thirty one? Is that how old he is? Yeah. Um, he's, he's 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 living the life. He no, I think that's the best route to go in life. He can make money doing TV or anything else that Whatever he, he wants to do, and you know. Well, the bet you know what the best is is the the Andrew Lux of the world who just goes sailing and you never hear from him again. Yeah, like every that guy. every now and then you'll get a, a hairy neck beard photo of him talking to a high school like like encouraging them. Otherwise, you literally never hear from Andrew Luck. That's the Dago life. Yeah, it's been gone for forever. Sure. Uh, Mike McDonald is switching Harbaugh brothers. He is going from Jim to John. Uh, in going from uh, Michigan's defensive coordinator to now the defensive coordinator filling up for Wink Martindale in Baltimore. Uh, probably not impactful. Again, they have a lot of talents. They will continue to be if healthy, a dominant defense, or at least a uh, above-average defense. If they can get healthy in the secondary, especially Diggle, any thoughts on uh, Mike McDonald's? They'll be healthy. They're added to their trenches significantly in free agency, and that's really what it came down to. Like Martindale didn't deserve to be fired, but they needed to find someone to blame, and so it's it's no surprise they parted ways after that amount of time. Um, also, slightly worrisome since the Giants, like Martindale's scheme, runs around a shutdown corner, and Martindale doesn't have one currently. But it's still a year one in a rebuild for the Giants, so no worries. But overall, yes, the Ravens are healthy, and that's literally just what it comes down to: is adding a pass rush and being healthy, and they will be that in Week One. Connor, thoughts? Nope, summed up well. Summed up well. Uh, the Lions have a new offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson. I think the important thing here is just the influx of talent and speed, similar to what we were talking about earlier with the Dolphins. Uh, we're really dealing with Josh or with uh, with uh, Jared Goff, just kind of being obviously you know check down king. His six point four uh, air yards per drop back last year were dead last. Uh, part of that is obviously him uh, was the offensive line, which I do think is continuing to get better. But now obviously adding DJ Chark and Jameson Williams, who uh, you know is hopefully trending to be healthy sooner than later, they are going to have speed on this offense. So I think you see a little bit more of a downfield passing game if Goff is comfortable doing so under Johnson. Uh, Dago, what do you think about this move? I'm actually more concerned, not concerned, I'm more focusing on what's happening on offense because we're still unsure if it's going to be Dan Campbell calling plays because remember Anthony Lynn called plays until the Lions started 0-8, went to their bye week. Dan Campbell removed him and started calling his own plays. And then what we saw was a transition from running the ball at the 11th highest rate when they were trailing to then running the ball at the uh, – no, I got that number wrong. Um, Connor, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I panicked. No, no. I, I mean, I think the point you're making is good. I think the the downgrade from Anthony Lynn to whoever this guy is, you know, has basically been a quality control analyst and offensive assistant for a little while. You know, like, I mean, just been a positional coach. And now, I mean, I don't really think that Dan Campbell has much of the chops either to be an offensive guru for a team that – I mean, I know everyone likes the talent. I think it's, it's very fair to think that they're going to be better, but I think there's still plenty of concerns about Jared Goff. Um, you know, I think the offensive line is good, but I'm not sure that it's like fully elite. You know, there were some times where it wasn't. So I don't know. I, I just like, I think Jared Goff is limiting unless you have a guy like Sean McVay kind of like guiding the ship there and being able to take advantage of some of those things. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of out on this offense in terms of like how much hype they've been getting in the offseason. What I was trying to cite, Noonan, was passing the ball. That's where I got mixed up in my notes. Passing the ball at the league's 11th highest rate when trailing compared to 28th overall. So bottom five in the league passing the ball when trailing under Dan Campbell from week 10 on. That's why you see so many carries when you look up between DeAndre Swift, Craig Reynolds, Jamal Williams, and they were all in and out of the lineup over the last half of the season. But overall, like they established their dominance through the trenches, unsurprisingly under Dan Campbell when he took over. And so it matters, especially if we think their defense and their personnel overall is better because this means it's better for Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. So I would definitely like to know, especially because Jared Goff yard per attempt have dipped in four consecutive seasons now. So I would definitely like, like to know who is calling plays, and that's what I'm looking for. No offense to the Reynolds, to Craig Reynolds or the Reynolds family. That's not a name that I even had thought about since it happened. Uh, and that tells you uh, probably pretty good and healthy that we're able to kind of move on and divorce ourselves of those things that happen and become so important for weeks at a time during the season. And then you could just be like, oh, forget about them. Um, 
Last one, Bills offensive coordinator coach. Uh, our offensive coordinator changed with Ken Dorsey staying on the staff. He was the QB coach last year. Obviously, we talked about Brian Dayball and his impact, the impact we hope he makes for the Giants or think he can make. And it's hard not to think that he was impactful for Josh Allen and what is left behind with just osmosis being in that room. Does that help Ken Dorsey? Do we expect anything different, Connor, from this change with Dorsey taking over uh, and really the development that we've seen for Josh Allen and, and this team who everyone thinks is probably the favorites, maybe the best team in the league. Uh, the talent is through the roof. Josh Allen has become a significant difference maker at the position. Uh, they impacted here by the change. Yeah, no, I don't really think it's going to be too much of an impact. I think that, yeah, I think that it might be a slight downgrade, but I, I don't know. I think that, you know, as long as Dable has been able to inject some of his willingness to change and kind of like adapt to situations like he did over the course of his career into a guy like Ken Dorsey, who was, who was there as the quarterback's coach, I think that they'll probably be just fine. And they have enough talent around them to kind of sustain any, you know, whatever issues that he brings, I guess, early on. So I, I think that they'll be just fine. Tougher schedule, but yes, I don't think it matters really. Uh, we know what they're going to do. They added James Cook, tried to get J.D. McKissick for this specific reason. James Cook didn't even handle more than 12 carries in any game throughout his college career. Doesn't matter because they are going to use him strictly on third downs and involving him more in the passing game to actually have an explosive option underneath for mismatches against linebackers and safeties, what Devil Singletary can't do in that role. So we know they're going to change their offense a little bit, adding that facet, but otherwise... Same thing as always. Yeah, we did see a change with them at the end of the season too, which I think we saw a little bit more um, different looks. We were seeing a lot of five wide sets early in the season, and I think it, towards the tail end of the season, we saw a little bit more 11 personnel and some different stuff with like and Reggie, Reggie Gillum and stuff like that. I think five wide, though, was not because they believe in their five receivers. It was because to spread out the defense, that way to allow Josh Allen to run more in man schemes. Yeah. Which worked and was uh, awesome for fantasy for sure. And so. um, yes, they they committed a murder in New England. Yes, it worked. They did. They sure did. Uh, two of them, or one in in New England and then one in Buffalo a couple weeks later. So, all right, fellas, good job. That's a good June first football show from you both, uh, Daniel. What's going on over on the site uh, as far as all the stuff that you've been grinding out? For as slow as football betting topics are, uh, football best ball and redraft rankings are coming out hot. Paulson not only has the projections up and running and altering them every day, according to OTA news, but also he is now breaking them down and putting words to his reasoning. And so his articles are on the site. My best ball tiers plus the underdog top 250, which you should download the CSB. I believe it's still free too, which is egregious. Luis, we got to change that. Uh, and you can just tack on to underdog and then use those rankings to put Paulson's and my game theory into perspective and then play with ADP. Use it as a guideline, not your blueprint, but it's certainly there to help you. And so, yeah, everything's coming out the site, including, um, like I mentioned, my best ball tiers that gives reasoning to the top 250 as well. So just stay tuned because it's all churning out. That's a must. I mean, the CSV thing is a huge edge. Uh, you can click it back into, you know, understanding what some of the general ADP is, but having um, ADP that's, you know, or rankings that are different than the field, because just I think that's probably still one of the biggest edges in best ball, no matter your platform, is adjusting the ranks uh, to what you have and not going off of the site default rankings. Leveraging it's, the work that Daigle and Paulson are doing is huge. Especially because in the last four rounds, what you'll notice, like there are guys getting drafted like in round 14 and an 18 round best ball draft that Paulson like doesn't even have ranked in the top 20 rounds. And like people love assuming roles for rookies. Rookies are exciting to everyone because they have infinite ceilings at that time, right? We haven't seen them play yet. Thus, everyone thinks they're next Mike Evans, Jamar Chase, yada, yada, when really they're probably not going to do anything at all. So like right now, we should be taking that advantage of that with the boring Kendrick Bournes, Mark Ingrams, those guys of the world who like will have roles in week one as opposed to the rookies. And we have a new site or uh, landing page on the site too. It's dedicated to all of our underdog stuff. Uh, you can find that over there, all the strategy, all the tools. The tools are incredible too. So uh, we are definitely the place to be if you were looking to go heavy in the underdog best ball streets. Connor, what are you working on? You got a lot of stuff going on too. Yeah. I mean, we're just trying to pop out some bets here. Do been firing on some prize picks, some underdog pick uh, really kind of getting deep into those streets because 
while you know maybe the odds aren't quite as good, I think that there's plenty of edge in terms of the lines that they set and the markets that they offer. They offer a lot of different markets. So we're really trying to dig deep into that this year and kind of go heavy on that. So that's been fun. And then as we talked to you about here, we already have, or at least I have four bets out already on the year for season-long props. Probably going to add another after this show and continue to add you know throughout the offseason here because none of the player props have even dropped yet on, on most legal books, but on prize picks, there's already a bunch. So we grabbed like an Antonio Gibson under 1,050 rushing yards, which I think is like, a, we have projected for like 750, something like that. So, I mean, just like an egregious difference. Like I, I bet it'll open at sports books at like 900 and prize picks right now is floating a 1,050. So get over there. I'll find links on the site too to, to get into those streets. If you uh, are in a legal state or if you're in a state that can get down on props, um, most of those, uh, you know, prize picks is the best way to do it. So I uh, continue to uh, check that stuff out over on the site for Connor. And Daigle, I'm Ryan. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>